There are a lot of things in life that some people just don't get. You ever notice that? Uh, there was a fellow who was logging on to his bank's website for the very first time, and he uh, was going through the whole process, and when he was trying to set up his own account, the screen popped up and said, password must be eight characters. And so he puzzled over that, eight characters, eight characters. So finally he typed in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> eight characters to be sure. And the thing that bothers me is that some of you are going to go home and say, that's a good password. I'm going to save that for, for later. Some people just don't get Christmas either. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, we have a tradition in our family, when we started when the girls were young, that we would take a night right before the Christmas uh, day, and we would drive around and look at all the beautiful lights of the city and the houses that were decorated, and it was always interesting. Some houses just went all out, and, and then other houses were, were dark, and I don't know, probably for a lot of different reasons, but you could sure see that there was a vast difference that some people didn't seem to have the Spirit. Now, in this picture that you're going to see, well, sometimes it's just hard to be living next to somebody that goes all out. But that's a pretty creative response from the neighbor, you know, isn't it? <laughs> kind of makes you wonder what they do with gifts, doesn't it? <laughs> For some, it's about the financial problems. After calculating the cost of his kids' Christmas presents during this economic recession, Larry called the family together and explained to the children, he says, it's too late to make adjustments for this year, but it would really help us out financially if you kids could be bad next year. <laughs> I suppose that's not the spirit of Christmas either. And then there are some who just miss the point altogether. In the United Kingdom, and I'm sure these statistics aren't limited to the United Kingdom, only 4% of adults between the ages of 25 and 34 believe the most important part of Christmas is its religious meaning. Only 4%. Some people just don't get it. But every now and then, you run across someone who does. They get it. At the Buckner Children's Home in Beaumont, Texas, a church group was bringing in Christmas presents for all of the kids. The children's home staff had put together a list with every child's favorite Christmas toy on the list, and so the church group did their best to gather all of those top choices. When the gifts were all distributed, they came to the last one, an eight-year-old boy, and surprisingly, all they had left was a doll. Somebody had made a grievous mistake. You got an eight-year-old boy, and the only gift they had left was a doll. And so they began to apologize for the gift that they had left. And then in an unexpected twist, the eight-year-old boy explained that he had asked for the doll. And he went on to say, I want to be able to give my three-year-old sister something when she comes to visit me the next time. That's the heart of Christmas. That's the spirit behind it all. That's somebody who gets it. A little over 2,000 years ago, there were some who got it as well. Surprisingly, they weren't from Bethlehem. They weren't shepherds. They weren't even Jewish. Yet they spend a lot more time preparing for their celebration than those of us who decorate our houses. And they gave more priceless gifts than what we'll find tucked beneath our Christmas trees. And they knew from day one that his birth was spiritually significant. In an unexpected twist, these genuine worshipers were, were Persian. Matthew calls them magi, from which we get our word magistrate. Did you know that according to legend, 
each was a descendant of Noah's three sons, and that their names, according to legend, were Caspar, Balthazar, and Melchior? Did you also know, according to legend, that in the 12th century, Bishop Reinald of Cologne found three skulls that he was convinced belonged to these three kings, and they were exhibited in a priceless casket in a great cathedral of the city. Well, we don't know that there were three. They did bring three gifts, but that's the only number that's identified in the Christmas story. And they weren't kings like the old Christmas carol depicts, but they did know royalty when they met him. They probably came from Babylon. Babylon was home to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the hanging gardens built by King Nebuchadnezzar. Beautiful, incredible walled garden in the city of Babylon. And Babylon was probably about 800 miles from Bethlehem. So it was a long and arduous journey. They didn't arrive on Christmas night, but their celebration was no less grand when they and their entourage finally reached Bethlehem. I, I, I hope you get it. Christmas, that is. Be as determined to keep moving toward the light of the world and His life in you as the Magi were determined to follow the light of the star in pursuit of the one who had captured their hearts before they even met Him. Is your heart as committed as those of the Magi? Now, I don't want to make too much of this story. It's certainly not more than what God intended, but it's as if God put royal bookends on the life of His Son, that at the very beginning and at the very end of His earthly life, He is recognized and declared to be King. I've always found it interesting who first proclaimed Him King. It didn't come from the lips of Gabriel, the angel, or the angel chorus at Bethlehem to the shepherds. It didn't come from Mary or Joseph at the manger, and it didn't come from Anna or Simeon in the temple at Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, it was not first voiced from Hebrew lips, but came from the voice of Gentiles. When these Persian magi stopped in Jerusalem to ask directions, they said, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? King. We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. It's the first time king is used. <clears throat> it's not a question to his identity. They were only looking for his location. These magi knew who he was. He was royalty, but so much more, as was indicated in their gifts. Now, gold, frankincense, and myrrh were appropriate gifts for royalty, but frankincense, more importantly, was a gift that was used an expensive gift that was used in making sacrifices, and so it would have been an appropriate gift for a priest or one who served at the temple. And myrrh was a burial ointment and spice, would be appropriate for one who would die and be buried, a sacrifice for all humanity. Could, could these magi possibly have known the significance of their gifts, that they recognized him as Savior, Lord, and King? in the gifts that they brought. And when they finally arrived in Bethlehem, they went to the house where Mary and Joseph were living at the time, and Matthew records it so beautifully. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. This too is the first time we've heard the word worship as it appears in the Christmas story. 
The angels proclaimed, the shepherds praised, Mary pondered, Simeon prayed, Anna prophesied, but the Magi, the Magi worshipped. That's what I call preparing your heart for Christmas. So what do you do with Jesus at Christmas? Is he just part of the trappings that you see, or is he the treasure that you seek? Is he forgotten in all of your preparation, or is he the focus of your celebration? When the Magi saw him, they knew just what to do. Bow and worship. Of all the Christmas decorations that we put up annually here at the church building, I think these banners are my favorite because they capture for me why we celebrate Christmas. Oh, come, let us adore him. That's another way of saying worship. Let's bow in worship. And isn't that what Christmas, and for that matter, folks, every other day of our life is supposed to be? Whatever you do, live in such a way that your life will be a daily act of worship to the King. Lift up your family life, your career life, your social life before Him, and honor Him with your daily gift of living. And when you do that, when the King is first in your heart, then the King will guard your heart forever. Just remember, make sure you live a life that is worthy of a king. But that's not the end of the story. There's another bookend in this story, and, and it comes at the end of his life, about 33 years later. It's as if the whole story comes full circle at the crucifixion when we are confronted again with his divine royalty. Pilate brings up the question. He said, are you a king? And Jesus responded, you have said it. It is correct. Now, I don't think Pilate ever quite figured out what kind of king Jesus was. As a matter of fact, I think Pilate probably determined this guy's a little bit delusional. Uh, he doesn't look like any king. I've been in Roman government and politics for a long time. I've never seen a king that looks like him. He's probably not dangerous, but he's probably a little bit delusional. The religious leaders denied that he was a king. The disciples thought they had lost their king, and the Roman soldiers mocked him as a phony king, putting an old discarded robe on him and crowning him with a prickly crown of thorns. But after a lot of political wrangling, Pilate washed his hands of the king and had the last word. The closest thing that Jesus ever got to an epitaph or a tombstone was the placard nailed above his head on the cross. Those words read like this. This is the king of the Jews. And though many strongly objected to the wording, Pilate would not be swayed. It was so fitting. He was born a king, he would die a king. And so many just didn't get it. The last chapter of the Christmas story, that is. Because you can't have the first chapter of the Christmas story without the last chapter, because it's the last chapter that makes it all makes sense. But there was one. There was one who truly believed. Surprisingly, he shared a common fate with Jesus. He too was sentenced to die on a cross right next to the Lord. In an unexpected twist, it took one condemned to death to recognize the king of life. Dying words are oftentimes remembered and sometimes carved in stone. President Grover Cleveland, his last words were these, I have tried so hard to do the right. Inventor Thomas Edison said, it's very beautiful over there. 
Author O. Henry, his last words were these. Turn up the lights. I don't want to go home in the dark. Kind of wonder what our last words will be and what they'll reveal about us and our relationship with the Savior. But I can tell you this this morning, I don't want anybody to go home in the dark. My favorite last words quote comes from an infamous unnamed thief. At least unnamed in Scripture. Much speculation has surfaced throughout history about the repentant thief. Now, according to legend, all right, we have no proof of this, but according to legend, some claim his name was Demas. As a matter of fact, a number of towns, including San Demas, California, are named after the good thief on the cross. There is a church in Kingston, Ontario, named the Church of the Good Thief, and it was built by convicts at the Kingston Penitentiary. There's even a statue of him in the Czech Republic and other places around the world. Legend has it that young Demas ran with a pack of thieves, but convinced that pack of thieves not to rob a family who was escaping to Egypt, and that family was Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus. Now, here's the really interesting part for me. Demas means, and we don't know what his name was, we don't know that that was his name, but if it was his name, do you know what it means? Demas means ruler of people. Here hangs this thief next to Jesus. His name means ruler of people or king. And there he hangs next to the king of kings. Wow, what an ironic, interesting twist. Here are his words, his last words. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He gets it. He didn't say rabbi or master or son of David or sir. He may well have been a Gentile. We don't know. But he calls him Jesus. The name Jesus means salvation. He understood that his only hope was in this one who hung on the center cross. Then he speaks of his kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Folks, you can't have a kingdom unless you're king. Of all the people, to understand who Jesus was on that day, Savior, Lord, and King, just like the Magi. It was a condemned thief. Jesus' reply is just as significant. Today you will be with me in paradise. I've often thought about what Jesus didn't say. Speaking on the cross was extremely difficult. I mean, every breath was precious. And to use a whole lot of words would be tough. A one-word answer would have sufficed. I know if I'd been hanging on the cross and he'd said that to me, my response would have been, seriously? Seriously? But then Jesus is a Savior of grace. Grace means a gift that makes glad. And that day he gave the thief on the cross the greatest of all gifts, a gift that makes glad. Jesus could have simply said, I will. He could have done that in one breath, but he didn't. Today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't respond with a question about the man's past. He didn't promise a future resurrection. He didn't even use the word heaven. He just went right to the thief's own statement of faith. This is the only time Jesus ever used the word paradise in his earthly life and ministry. Only time. And get this, people. It is a Persian word. 
meaning a walled garden. And the only way you could get into that garden was by permission of the king. A Persian word. Suddenly the words of the Persian magi make even greater sense. Where is he who has been born king? We have come to worship him. Who knows, maybe this thief had one time been to Babylon and seen the famous hanging gardens. Perhaps he was even of Persian descent. We don't know. But this one thing is certain. Jesus was declaring, I am the king. And I give you permission to live in my garden forever. Remember the video at the very beginning of the service? All the brokenness of this world all of the unnecessary want, all of the unfounded fear, all of the unexpected disappointment, all of that is reflected in the eyes of this hopeless thief. And I suspect that when he spoke, he turned and looked at Jesus. Hands and feet may have been unmovable, but not his eyes. And in the eyes of the Savior, he saw reflected hope and assurance and forgiveness and that Jesus could guard his heart forever. What do you see when you look at Jesus? Unconditional love, forgiveness that is undeserved, the chance for a fresh start in life. Last October, in the state of Maharashtra, India, 285 girls were granted the legal right to change their names during a special ceremony. Because of the cultural emphasis on the importance of boys, Baby girls are often viewed as unwanted burdens. In addition to the normal expenses of raising a child, in some parts of India that alone is difficult, but in that culture, the parents of the girl have to pay for the wedding and they have to provide a dowry. Now, I feel their pain on that one. I get that. But in this culture, some children are almost cast aside as a result. Each of the girls at this naming ceremony had, been, had one thing in common. They had each been given the name Nakusa, which as I understand it means unwanted. An expression of their parents' disappointment at their birth. At this naming ceremony, all 285 got new names and a fresh start. One of the great joys of the Christmas story is the amazing truth that not one of us is unwanted by the Father. He has given us new hope, new names, a new future. Do you need a fresh start this morning? Do you need a new name? Do you need a hope that will guard your heart forever? At the moment he spoke, the thief only knew three things, that Jesus was king, that his kingdom was not of this world, and that this king had the power to bring even the most unworthy into his paradise kingdom. Isn't that what we're supposed to remember when we come to the Lord's table? Isn't that what Jesus wants us to reflect on as we celebrate this meal together? Jesus is king. His kingdom is not of this world. And we, ever so unworthy, have the privilege of being with him forever in paradise because the king died in our place. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, let us celebrate what the magi and the thief on the cross knew. 
He is the king. There is one more parallel between the Magi and the thief on the cross. They all went home a different way. In the Christmas story, Matthew records that the Magi were warned in a dream not to go back the same way because Herod had wicked intents. So they returned to Persia by a different route. As the thief trudged up Calvary's hill, he carried a one-way wooden ticket to hopelessness. But a promise from the king sent him home a different way. But more than simply traveling different routes, I believe these encounters produced different men. I mean, after all, how can you be the same after you've been in the presence of the king? How can you ever go back the same way that you came? Now, we can only dream and speculate and imagine that first moment, but just think about it for a moment. I believe at Calvary, Jesus died first because then they came along and broke the legs of the thieves to hasten their deaths. When the thief's eyes closed in death here, they opened there in brand new life. Can you imagine what he first saw? This incredibly beautiful walled garden. And as he makes his way toward the gate, the gate swings open and there stands Jesus who says, Welcome home, friend. I've been waiting for you. How do you say thank you? to a king who does something like that forever. I think Paul captured it best in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that the heart of Christmas there? This week, Disney ran... Uh, on television, Toy Story, the first one. And uh, Elsie and I sat down with uh, our granddaughter, Addie, to watch some of it. I'm loving this stage of being able to watch the movies I really want to watch, and now I have a good excuse to do so because (laughs) I've got a granddaughter to watch them with. But if you remember Toy Story, Buzz Lightyear is the character who all the way through the movie has got this phrase, to infinity and beyond. And then he discovers that he's only a toy and he can't get to infinity beyond and he can't help anybody else get to infinity and beyond. And nobody in this world can do that. But there is one who can take you to infinity and beyond and his name is the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. His invitation to us we find in the book of Revelation. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I don't want any of you to go home in the dark. Give your heart to Jesus now so he can guard it forever. 